On today's episode, open your mind as Ross Payton and I attune to the way. This is The Hard Move. Hello, and welcome to The Hard Move, uh, powered by the Apocalypse Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Gravelin, and with me today is my guest, Ross Payton. How you doing, Ross? Hey, it's Ross Payton with Rule Blue and Public Radio. Hey, I'm do- uh, it's doing great. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Sorry, I have to do the announcer voice. That's all right. Yeah. I mean, top of the show is the right place for that. <laughs> yeah. It'd be weird if you did it for like the next 35 minutes. I, mm. <laughs> there are limits to even what I can put up with. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Um, so, uh, Ross, we're getting a little, we're treading on the boundary of what, uh, powered by the apocalypse games are. Um, I know there are people that have, um, some thoughts and opinions about these type of games. Um, but why don't we just jump right in, have you name our move and the system it comes from. Uh, the move is called a tune and it comes from scum and villainy, a, uh, new sci-fi RPG. Yeah, and these are games um, that... So this is called a Forged in the Dark game, um, which is based off of Blades in the Dark, which is based off of Hard by the Apocalypse. So again, there's people who have thoughts and opinions about this, but I I consider this to be a quote-unquote a PBTA game. Um, what are your thoughts on, on where this fits into the overall world of RPG? Um, I would definitely put it, I mean, it's definitely, yeah, a descendant of it. I mean, at what point, um, I think it has the, the, the core centrals of the powered apocalypse, which are moves and the player facing nature of it, i.e. players roll the dice, not the GM and, uh, the same sort of split between success, like failure, complication, outright success. Those, those I think are the core elements of a powered by the apocalypse system and blades in the dark takes that and takes those ideas and modifies them in very particular ways to achieve a very particular kind of feel, which is the the heist. Um, and Scum and Villainy is a sci-fi heist game where you are Scum and Villainy, you know, doing space heists, essentially. So um, I feel it, it, it certainly qualifies because, again, it's it's it plays very similarly. I mean, it's also used as just D6s. I mean, it, it, the, that mechanic is a little differently, but yeah, it's... I, I would if you're comfortable with Powered by the Apocalypse, it won't take you very long to pick up Blades of the Dark or Scum and Villainy. Or... Yeah, and it's been a little while since I've looked into. I, I'm more familiar with Blades in the Dark mm-hmm. um, specifically as a system, um, but I wanted to refresh myself again. As you mentioned, it does uses it uses D6s, mm-hmm. um, and you are looking to hit one of these three levels of effect. Um, you know, which is a, basically you, you put together a pool of dice. Um, usually that's somewhere around about three dice, depending on what you're doing, but it could be a lot more. Yeah. It could be a lot less too. (laughs) It could be a lot less. Exactly. It could, you could be rolling with one. Um, it says also, if you have, if you have zero in a skill, if you have zero dice to do a thing, you roll two and take the lower. So you basically Mm -hmm. roll with disadvantage for those familiar, um, but basically you're just looking for whatever the highest result is out of all the dice you roll. So you're not doing any complicated math or averaging or pairing up or anything, just whatever the highest number of die showing out of your entire pool is what you're looking for. And a one to three is a failure. A four or five is that kind of partial success with complications. A six is a success. And if you roll, uh, I believe two or more sixes, uh, out of the pool, you get a critical and where, 
these Forge in the Dark games add another layer is there is a, I believe it's called a position that the GM sets when, before you roll a move to determine whether you're in control, whether it's risky, or whether the situation is desperate. Mm-hmm. And that position dictates what the one to three, four or five, six and critical actually kind of resolve into so Mm -hmm. we can talk about that as it specifically pertains to a tune um now a tune um uh well i'll just read the move real quick and then i'll ask you a question about it uh Mm -hmm. the move says when you attune to the way you open your mind to the galactic energies flowing throughout existence you might communicate with a non-sentient species or robot you could safely handle precursor artifacts or remnants that tap directly into the way you might sense unseen danger or killing intent those study might be better. So the way, capital W, the way. Um, I think anybody who knows anything about sci-fi movies will understand what this is in reference to. Uh, this is this is the Force, right, from Star Wars. Well, I mean, not. I mean, it doesn't map on exactly. Um, there are like in in the scavenging setting, there are important differences. For example, it makes a point in that move uh, description to say anyone can use the way. You don't have to be a trained Jedi or Sith or whatever in order to use it. Now, there is a character type that is the mystic that is obviously the the analog to a Jedi or Sith. Um, Scum and villainy is a hodgepodge of space opera tropes so a lot of it is mm-hmm. taken from star wars but a lot of it is also taken from dune uh, you know 1970s european you know heavy metal comics you know mobius type stuff um the lensman every everything sort of comes together in that so um the way is yeah the weird mystical stuff in a, in an otherwise science fiction setting uh and it's all sort of crammed in there they also like reference the precursor artifacts which are you know the ancient dead civilization that was super advanced but now it's gone and they left behind all this weird stuff that's full of plot devices and MacGuffins um that we can you know mess with for scenarios um so the it's 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 if you're yeah it's like 80 percent similar to the the force but there are it's more versatile so you can use it for whatever purpose you need for it for your scenario gotcha uh and and is that when you play Mm -hmm. Uh, in the games that you've been a part of, do you find that this, uh, that players have trouble making that connection or making that leap to saying this isn't just the force, this isn't just telekinesis, this isn't just fighting abilities, there's a lot more you can do with this move? Or does that, do you find that that comes across for new players pretty easily? Um, well, I've only been, I have been running a campaign and I haven't been doing like one shots or stuff with newer players. I mean, most of um Mm -hmm. and the 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 problem the thing is that i have is that um there is kind of sort of this niche protection in the game where like you can be better at one type of move than others and so like everyone tries to bludgeon every problem with their favorite move or their favorite couple of moves uh so we have one player who is a mystic and she basically you know solves her problems with the way and the other players not so much um but it's it's what i like about it is is because it is sort of vague and ambiguous is that you can use it for a lot of different things is it like a sense motive sort of thing or is it uh you know analyze alien artifacts or is it mystical combat with other uh people trained in the way uh yeah sure why not you know and that that's sort of like why i think it's a great move uh is because it allows a lot of versatility it's kind of like a swiss army lightsaber of the, of the game. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and then real quick, again, just for talking about like context setting, all of the um, moves in the game kind of use, again, this position of controlled, risky, desperate. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also an effect level that the GM will set, which is limited, standard, or great, which is kind mm -hmm. of the maximum possible outcome. Um, and then you put together a pool of dice and you roll. And mm -hmm. then there's this table in here. Again, there's the outcomes for controlled, the outcomes for risky, and the outcomes for desperate. And if I'm looking at this correctly, each individual action is what the movies are called in here, um, have some examples listed in here for them. But the mm -hmm. specific outcomes of rolling these actions are not strictly defined. Um, is that left up to the players and GM to kind of decide okay, I'm rolling a tune, I, I did get my, you know, it's risky, and I did get my four to five. How, how does that play out? Is that different literally every time, or is there some kind of standardization of, of what a four to five risky a tune looks like each time? No, it is basically, um, there. It, the thing I think that Blades and the Forge in the Dark system does that um, Powered by the Apocalypse doesn't do is that it gives the GM uh, more exacting and more granular options to like that's the sort of the biggest problem i think when running i've run powered by the apocalypse games too like monster of the week and a couple others and that's kind of always the problem isn't it when you're running is like when they get the complicated success and you're like well what's a good complication and mm -hmm. so this gives you a lot of like very specific things uh that it can do and the way it does this is like well it could be reduced effect uh, and reduced effect means instead of like Oh, you kill the bad guy, or like for a tune, you you uh, successfully analyze the alien artifact. You understand what it does, and you know how to use it. You like, well, you get an idea. This is a weapon, and that's the that's the trigger for it. But you don't know, and you point that way at the enemy, but you're not sure exactly what it's going to do. Um, that would be an example of reduced effect. Um, then, uh, but then you could also be a complication, in which case it could be harm, and harm could be like physical harm to your character, or it could be stress. Uh, and stress is sort of a pool of points that you have that you can use to power various abilities. And if you max out on stress, um, you take a trauma. And when you take a trauma, your character is temporarily out of action. And then the traumas are permanent. And if you get four traumas, your character has to retire. So you don't want to do that. And you only get stress back by downtime at the end of a job. So, um, And then there's also heat. Uh, every Every area, every region of the game has a heat level. And so basically you can rack up the equivalent of, well, the, the, uh, a wanted level in the mm -hmm. system. And uh, so you have a lot of different ways to give players a complication. Like, well, this, okay, yeah, you succeed, but now you get two extra heat because you had a, you know, you use the way in public and there are cults that don't like it. And there are all these organizations, factions in the game that don't like the way or don't like people using the way. Um, and so they will, that, that will, you know, get this unwanted attention to you. Um, so that's kind of like the, the, the sort of thing here. It gives you more exacting, like, things, options for you. So, like, yeah, so you don't have to do all of them. It's not like you're reduced effect, you take harm, you take a complication. It's like choose one of them. Um, and I find that very useful because then I can hit the players in a lot of different ways. <laughs> so... Uh, but there's a con yeah it's a, it's all about giving you exacting consequence um not just like 
vague nebulous ones that you kind of have to make up on the fly. So, and I also like that it's not because everybody it's easy to fall on harm. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's like an easy one that everybody gets. The other one that I see is like you get disarmed, you lose your weapon, right? You lose your ability to fight. Like mm-hmm. these are the two go to's when you have a complication. Um, but I, one of the things that is so great about like PBTA games in general, but specifically these Forged in the Dark games is there is, you know, stress. There is um these traumas there is this heat level um the these games also feature clocks um which are basically just countdowns or count ups to things happening um mm-hmm. which probably goes a lot in line with the the other four to five option here which is um end up in a desperate position you know if you have a clock a lot of the uh, example clocks um that i've been reading in the book so far have to do with like setting off an alarm you know you you do enough failures or get enough complications while you're in this guy's hideout, eventually alarm an alarm is going to go off. So mm-hmm. that's the other, another nice thing about one of these systems is the failure or complication doesn't have to be a whole hog type of problem. It can just be, Oh, two ticks towards the eight ticks needed to set off the alarm. So mm-hmm. you can always still come back from it, which I like. And it also allows for you, um, you know, what I sometimes refer to as a failing success. You still did the thing you were trying to do, but it was like not worth it at all. You set off way too many alarms or you lost stuff or whatever happened um, yeah. to make it not worth it. So um, I will say, I even if you're familiar with PBTA games, the action rolling in in these Forge in the Dark games is a little bit more. It's a, It's a little extra. There's a lot of you know, math when you're putting the dice dice pool together and then you have to check on these different tables. But once you get the hang of it, I have noticed that there's um, some patterns here, you know, like when you're controlled, it just kind of like shifts everything up. And then when you're risky, it goes back down. And when you're desperate, it goes even more down. So just it's it's pretty straightforward. You know, the more desperate it is, um, the even even if you do it well, you still don't get the full effect that you would have if it was controlled so i appreciate Mm -hmm. that part of this system yep um yeah clocks are uh interesting it's one of the things i'm still like even though i've gotten about like six sessions in, i'm still like struggling to use every single remember to use them but when i have uh for example the players were essentially undercover at this uh you know desert uh base of this enemy group and they you know and they were trying to sabotage this base without drawing attention to themselves. So like they would make rolls and they would get a four or five, like, okay, well you had two to their suspicion clock. And when that maxes out, they're going to know that, you know, the jig is up and they're going to come after you. So you get, you get that information that you were trying for. You're one step closer to doing it. So you get one on that, but then you get two on your suspicion clock. And so the players had the very, they knew exactly where they stood in terms of their goal versus, uh, terms of um you know failing or at least escalating um and i found that pretty uh useful yeah one of the things that i found myself um doing to kind of explain clocks is if a person is familiar with dungeon world and the fronts it's Mm -hmm. just a scaled down version of that when you have your whole front sheet and you have this list of grim portents that you go through and check off when things happen just think about that on a micro scale like you're not talking about this whole faction moving like a clock could just be you know 
the ship, the captain of the ship realizing that you're stowing away on it. Like, that could be a clock. You mm-hmm. can have a clock for, oh, this faction is getting fed up with our, our nonsense and eventually will spill over into war. There could be a clock for that. But uh, that's one, you know, again, uh, I like being able to have a failure or a complication from a move not have to be you raise the alarm or you don't raise the alarm. It could instead tick up a clock 20% Mm -hmm. or 30% or whatever. And it still means something, you know, there is still that negative effect that they can feel in a visceral way without it being, okay, you failed one roll. Now you have to fight a bunch of guards. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's also, I mean, obviously the standard thing would also be chases. Um, You know, can you get away before they catch you? Um, And, yeah, just a lot of competitive. Uh, can you get through uh, a checkpoint before the guards detect you? Um, there, can you find the thing before the other bag? You know, you're searching for you know the MacGuffin in you know an asteroid field. Can you find it before the bad guys do? Uh, uh, so on and so forth. I mean, if you think about it, hit points on the enemy monster that you're fighting are really kind of a count a clock, and you're and, just trying yep. to get that <laughs> clock down to zero. So uh, it's it's we're we're always just trying to manipulate numbers in these in these games anyway. So just yeah. And even if you're not playing Blades in the Dark or Scum and Villainy or any of the other Forge in the Dark type of titles, mm-hmm. picking up one of these books or PDFs just to read the, the section on clocks, you you should just be using those in other games. I feel like it just, I use them in D&D too. Like they're just mm-hmm. a really easy way to create the feeling of large machinations without having to write a whole sheet mm-hmm. of complicated interplay it's just ah, here's a 12 slot clock and every time you guys screw up the crime boss in the area is going to get more and more upset with you and if it takes over he's going to send bounty hunters for you yeah um yeah yeah exactly it's uh something also to kind of make things other than fights like more interesting than just a binary you succeed or you don't skill check or skill checks and so you want to make the like combat's kind of the reason why so many rpgs are focused on combat is because combat's the most sort of like the system is the most interesting, you know, you have lots of different moves, do you parry, do you fight defensively, you know, all these different thing, different weapons and options you have and like everything else kind of pales com- to comparison. Like, well, I get, I run away. I keep running away. Do the bad guys mm-hmm. get me? Cause I, I keep, you know, like it's, it, it's trying to make other challenges, other conflicts as interesting in game mechanics as combat. And this is a way to do that. Yeah. Th- there isn't a ton just by the by the way that actions are constructed in the in the system mm-hmm. there isn't a ton of hard and fast mechanics that go along with any of them really and i mm-hmm. i suppose this one's even more kind of intentionally fluid well the mystic character class uh, on 81 does special abilities related like every every so for example they can choose an ability called sundering you may push yourself to attune to the way and twist it causing psychic harm to anyone in the area vulnerable to your assault you may spend one stress for each additional feature it damages instead of stuns you and anyone you choose get plus 2d to resist the effects so and uh, also there's ways for other characters to pick up abilities from different classes so technically mm-hmm. any character could have like sundering so there, there are ways to use a tune um, aside from that. So there are like, yeah, specific mechanics for it. But yeah, it is pretty simple compared to a lot of, uh, well, I mean, a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse movies are pretty simple in terms of like write up. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think the main difference from, from what I've seen in, in, of studying all these systems is that 
your traditional PBTA game has, you know, that line at the end of the move where it says, you know, on a 12 plus X on a 10 plus or on a Mm -hmm. seven to nine, you know, Y on a six or lower Z. And Mm -hmm. even though those statements might be vague and open to interpretation, it still always has that. And that was the one thing where I originally thought I was looking at the wrong section in the Scum and Villainy book because I didn't see that. These don't look like the same structure of your classic PBTA move. Mm. Um, but again, once you, you, you have to go and like abstract out, there's this whole action roll system that applies to all action when you do, when you roll a move and you Mm. do that same system every time, which I do appreciate because sometimes there are moves in, you know, the, you know, you could go to one single PBTA system and it'll say, well, this move has, you know, a, a, a seven plus condition and then adds to it when it's mm-hmm. 10 plus this move oh, has yeah. a seven to nine condition and a completely separate thing at 10 plus mm-hmm. this thing also has a 12 plus or it goes in the other direction and you check one then the other some have hold some have a list or plus one forward yeah and while i appreciate that there they all have their specific moves and most of the time they're simple to understand and they make sense the thing that i really appreciate about these forge in the dark systems is an action role is virtually always the same. Mm-hmm. You you create your pool, you set the position, you choose your action, you roll the dice, you look at the table, you determine how that how those words are impacted by the narrative of the action that you've selected. In this case, we're talking about a tune. So when I you know look at that table and it says. Um, uh, oh, okay, okay, risky. You rolled a four or five. You do it, but there's consequence. Suffer harm, complication, reduced effect, or you're in a desperate position. They don't have to write that over and over and over again mm-hmm. themed for each action. It just, that's implied. So what does yeah. it mean to be, what does it mean to suffer harm from a tuning? You know, you, like you talked about that kind of psychic damage or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Uh, what complications could arise from this? Well, I probably alert other people who are attuned to the way of my presence or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do it in a different way. So I like that they took that out of the moves and just said, here's an action and it uses the same format that all the other actions use. So mechanically it is quite different from PBTA systems, but once you kind of separate out those two things, instead of looking where you're used to looking, it all started to make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why the description of a tune and every other of these uh, commands, these actions, um, have examples that give you, uh, like, you know, here's here's some examples of controlled roles and risky roles and desperates, and like, right. they focus on the the reduced effect and the 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 risky position. So, like, you know, they have risky, you know, four five harm. You take a you know level two harm way burned. You know, so you know the energy surges through your mind um and so yeah they give you examples of specific kinds of things the the common kind of consequences of failing or not fully succeeding on a, on a tune check um to kind of get it in line with the fiction of the setting the lore of the setting um and it's still a lot of things are left very vague so you can come up with things on your own yeah for sure so speaking about how this move works fictionally and in the lore, um, we already talked a little bit about this not being a straight analog for the Force. So this isn't just telekinesis, but my mm-hmm. assumption is it could be that. And But it also has a lot of other 
um, types of manifestations. You want to talk a little bit about how this system sets up the way narratively and, and as a result, how a tune works narratively? Uh, well, one thing it does is uh, one of the most interesting things about this government villain is that they have a ro- lot of interesting factions in the game and the, each faction is kind of divided in whether instead of the empire they have the uh hegemony and that's mm-hmm. kind of like you know obviously the big you know galactic government that controls everything and this you know uh but then they also have criminal and weird factions and the weird factions are all mostly like cults um or weird people who have modified themselves so uh, for example, in the last session I ran of my Scum and Villain campaign, the players dealt with a faction called the Agony, which is described on 321 of Scum and Villainy. Uh, human cultists infecting themselves with way creatures named for the pain most endure for their unusual for their usual abilities. So uh, they their notable assets are potent mystic powers, a menagerie of undocumented way creatures, a laboratory for producing way infused drugs. Uh, quirks each member of the agonies change in some highly visible way either with extra limbs semi-spectral forms or many new mouths and eyes um and so you that gives you a lot more in you know idea of like what the way can do is like oh it turns people basically into resident evil boss villains um you know <laughs> kind of mutant weird creatures and so i had a session where the players had to break into their uh the layer of uh, uh one of the one of these uh groups of agony cultists and steal a thing from them. And I said, well, all the people in this particular faction or this part of the, the agony, they don't need eyes. They all have like, so, you know, echo location or sonar or whatever, and they can all, so it's pitch black in there and they, they, they navigate through scent. Um, so you're going to, and so, uh, uh, obviously our, the mystic player could, you know, attune herself to the way to, to smell the things that she needed in order to figure out the way to the MacGuffin that they needed to steal. Um, so like, yeah, it's, it's not just, it's, it's, it's basically mystic force that can be used to explain anything. So it could be really good. It could also be really bad. Um, there's another group, uh, called the vigilance who are warrior mystics that seek to enforce an ancient code of justice on those they found wanting. Um, and so, they are the more Jedi-ish uh, characters who have, um, you know, there are laser swords um, you can have in the game. Uh, they don't specifically, yeah. Uh, becoming a Vigilance member rece- means receiving an artifact blade as a mark of your progress. So they, so you, you, you have a wide variety of, like, factions to choose from. And you don't have to use every single faction in the game, obviously, because there's, like, you know, several dozen um and kind of to choose whether you want uh, a jedi kind of game or more of like you know a clive parker body horror kind of game um mm-hmm. with it so i think that's kind of they're very it's very short write-ups but they're very evocative and they're, they have very unusual um they have good story hooks um you know the agony write-up was only you know uh half a page and yet i was like oh i well i can do a whole thing with that and uh it works for that session so um, yeah, that's, I think one of the ways that you can sort of help develop the way, the, the way in your own campaign is like read up the factions and kind of figure out which ones you want to use and, um, throw them in there. I like it. 
Um, and then even though we talked about this move um, and, and the actions in these systems in general being more open to interpretation, um, what I did like is that there are, in all of the action sections, this little area called the GM questions, which um, gives the GM specific questions to ask those players um, about mostly the narrative element of it. But my my gut says that these influence more mechanical things. Um, so the three GM questions for a tune are, how do you open your mind to the way and what does it look like? Uh, what energy are you attuning to? What do you hope the energy will do? And does anything about you change when you attune? Again, especially if you're you're going with the analogy of the force, but just telekinetic or psychic powers in general, no one really thinks about how that affects the person doing it. Um, so I, I really like that one. Um, do you, you're running a campaign, are these questions that you kind of ask uh, characters up front or when they first use this, or are these questions that you ask every time somebody might want to use the attune in action? Well, one thing that um, Scum and Villainy tries to do is to focus on the narrative and fiction of the setting. And that means like, as a GM, you're not supposed to like, we'll make this kind of check, um, you know, make an attune check. You're supposed to like, ask the player the players are supposed to tell you what rating what action they want to use and then like you're they're you're supposed to um try and get the players to narrate more of what happens in the game um it's not supposed to be well i attack it with my sword or it does three damage it's like well i you know you take raise my laser sword on high and channel the way to cut a path through the agony cultists uh for example so it's just trying to get to get players and the GM in the in the habit of narrating what we see in the fiction rather than like what commands are we doing in the game to achieve you know what game mechanics are we invoking. So um, that's that's sort of part of the aesthetic of that, mm-hmm. um, and that that's what this whole uh, chapter on how to play kind of emphasizes. Um, starting on one thing seven is yeah. So that that's that's what the questions are about. It's so trying like, okay, so what are you doing? All right, um, how does that look? What do, what do we see in the game? You know, and then so instead of just asking that particular question every single time, it's like, all right, so how does this? How does the way manifest for you? You know, what changes about you when you channel the way? I gotcha. Uh, do you find that it's um... Is it more interesting to do this as kind of a standardization across like all players? So like if two players uh, attune and kind of channel the way in in a similar way, do they kind does like that second person by definition have to kind of do it the same way, or is that still open to even more further interpretation in terms of how each individual person attunes and interacts with the way? Uh, it's totally up to the players. Like I don't I don't specify like uh as long like once well once we establish what it is in our setting like whether it's the same or different then that's just how it is but like the players get to define all of that i just figure out what the consequences and the side effects are essentially um that that's again trying to give narrative agency to the players which is an important part of this game uh and powered by the apocalypse games in general um is you know trying to to emphasize that so um yeah, I think it, it it's uh, again letting the GM not having the GM do all the narrating and deciding what the story elements are. Um, and the the other things the players can do is like there's a whole another mechanic called flashbacks where the players can say, oh well, 
oh, we were in the, th- oh, the, the bad guy uh, sneaks up on me in the alley. Well, I set a booby trap up earlier, so he stops on the booby trap. Well, okay. Well, that's kind of, and then you could say, well, there's a flashback mechanic to explain that. And in which mm-hmm. case the player has to spend stress um, in order to do that. Uh, but then, yeah, there's a booby trap there. Let's see how effective it is. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm sure we could do a whole episode on, on the flashback mechanics of these systems, which I absolutely love. And I try and find ways to do that in any system I'm playing just because I think it offers so many. I It's that same thing where like, oh, you're in a town. I better buy five torches and 60 feet of rope. It's like as ah, boring. Like no one you don't want to do that. But when you need that rope, it's more interesting to have the rope. Mm-hmm. So let's just do a flashback to say like, oh, and I bought a bunch of rope because I love rope or whatever. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, uh, one of my favorite games, uh, well, Gumshoe in general, uh, which is not powered by the apocalypse at all, but um, they have this thing called preparedness where you can just roll, make preparedness checks to say, oh, yeah, I had the rope. You know, I just spent points and now I, I, I always have had the rope. I just didn't mention it until now. So um, that's uh an important thing so like yeah i really do like those mechanics that don't because anything the 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 problem of course is players will plan and discuss and debate things forever without taking action and that kind of kills the momentum of game. Mm-hmm. and this game and fortune that art games in particular are all about you're in the action you're doing it you've already planned everything out let's just see what happens because they're they're very much trying to evoke the oceans 11 explain the heist as we see it happen um, right and, and yeah. that, that's definitely a very very particular genre thing that they're trying to do um and this is just a sci-fi uh dressing for it essentially yeah absolutely um so we also talked a little bit about some of the you know negative effects that could come out of these four to five or one to three moves mm-hmm. um like taking psychic harm or alerting other people to your presence are there any other um types of desperate positions or complications that you've used in your campaigns that you think are um, like really creative ways of, of not just doing damage over and over again? Um, well, obviously, um, yeah, there's the heat level. Uh, well, I kind of mentioned that earlier. Um, mm-hmm. there, there, you can add stress on other players. Uh, one, one thing you can also do is, uh, it, depending on like how it's being invoked. Um, so, you can, um, for example, the players have a spaceship that can be damaged. Uh, so you could say, you know, there's a waste storm and suddenly psychic energy bursts at the engine or causes something like that to happen. Um, there's also, if it, but it can be really fun if you have a precursor artifact. And the precursor artifacts are, you know, super sufficiently advanced technological things from beyond, you know, thousands of years old. And so you can justify any number of things happening uh, because of that. Uh, so having uh, players roll badly when there's a precursor artifact just even around could call, oh well the precursor artifact well I, I used the way to try and read his mind and find out what's going on I rolled a want my I rolled nothing but wants well um, the that precursor artifact you're smuggling across the border turns on you you turn and uh, it starts you know uh, you read an ancient precursor symbols black hole generating two percent progress and like well wait that's not good uh that's the worst clock yeah exactly um so yeah exactly it's the worst clock and now the players have a whole new problem to deal with so um that that precursor artifacts are are great because they're just you you they're 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 very much written in the setting to be like anything can happen so we don't know yeah i'm i'm immediately thinking of um 
Galaxy Quest, right, with the Beryllium Core. Mm-hmm. Like, like it was never actually written what it did or whatever, but they knew they absolutely had to have one um, and in the moment had to figure out what it was for. So um, I, I like that, too, because there is kind of a MacGuffin quality to it, but because mm-hmm. it's intentional, it's a lot more useful um, and it gives the, the GM a way to not have to plan every square inch of a literal galaxy mm-hmm. um, and, and gives them opportunities to say, oh, OK, yeah, you're you're attuning to the way and it doesn't go well. What do I have available? Well, there's precursor artifacts literally everywhere. So one of them is going to do a bad thing mm-hmm. or one of them is going to do a great thing for somebody else. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. It gives your enemy immortality or super strength or something, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm the god now. Um, another thing that would be more if there aren't precursor artifacts now that I think about one other mechanic that players have is essentially their loadout. And that's actually a very much preparedness pool. Um, like you choose whether you're dressed in like carrying very few equipment or your uh, some equipment or like a lot of equipment. And if you're carrying a lot of equipment, people know that you're loaded to bear that you and you can't really pass as a civilian. Um, Mm -hmm. but if you're, and you choose this for every job that you go on. Uh, and so like, if you're halfway, you, then you're, then you look normal, but if someone pats you down, they're going to know that you're, um, like have a bunch of equipment on you. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that gives you like a pool of points and then you just spend those points whenever you want to say you have this item. And a lot of these items are like armor weapons. Uh, and then for the mystic specific, you know, alien artifacts. Um, and so what you do is um you could say like oh you failed your your check okay your 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 mystic artifacts you know trigger and uh you know fry out you won't be able to you you know mark off two points worth of gear on your list you know if you're dealing with a mystic player so you could just have them lose equipment from uh the malfunction of their uh, abilities yeah another and that's another great way that i think the system helps kind of hand wave gearing up but Mm -hmm. still gives a mechanical way to show the uh, risk reward of preparedness um without having to again like i'm gonna go to the rope store for example (laughs) um so i don't know why i keep saying rope rope is what i always say and hasn't like virtually nothing to do with a space opera setting rope's useful i mean even in space like i don't know I'm thinking about the Star Wars movies, like, and everything I've ever seen is like, has anyone ever used rope for anything in a Star Wars movie? Yeah, like the little grapple hooks, like to climb out of pits, like the 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 garbage pit. All right, all right, you got your rope. I was thinking, I was thinking the Wookies and the Ewoks, basically the only people that use rope. Well, didn't Luke use like a, a like a grapple gun kind of thing to swing across uh, the pit in episode uh, in, in a new? Oh, book? that's right, that yeah. crazy little like yeah. I just happen to have sixty feet of high tensile. Mm-hmm tiny rope in my belt because of course mm-hmm. so it's so that's very scum and villainy yeah. like there's no way you would have written that on a character sheet mm-hmm. but by taking extra gear loadout you can just have that when you need it so that's actually a great example yeah or the empire strikes back they just use really big rope i mean cables to t- uh uh take down the walkers that are attacking the, the rebel base on hoth so. All right, so I retract my statement. The Empire <laughs> is completely built on rope. Everybody's yeah. got rope. I w- <laughs> it's just useful. I mean, uh, it, it is. Yeah, uh, and it's very versatile. So uh, if you haven't seen Boondock Saints, you just have to watch that like one scene where they fall out of the vent mm-hmm. with the rope, and that's that's basically my whole life. That's why I think about rope constantly. Apparently. <laughs> 
Awesome. Um, any any other tidbits uh, for GMing um, this action uh, specifically in Scum and Villainy you'd like to share? Uh, for a tune, uh, yeah, be very open to players. Let them like the only the only thing that the attune should not do is hone in on the other moves and that to a degree especially the ones about hacking and rigging but like figuring things out fighting if they use a mystic weapon you know like a laser sword you should not like or if they need to make a trick shot i mean i it's i considered this was army uh lightsaber the game mm-hmm. so like i let the mystic just do whatever she wants with it as long as it makes sense within the setting as mm-hmm. that, it sounds like something that a mystic could meditate and just know so like intuitive actions you know like you're not going to be able to uh debate a lawyer through it um unless you can but you could read his mind to find out what his what he's hoping we don't you know say in court um mm-hmm. uh, as an example so um be open with it but also then in order to balance it obviously uh, make consequences pretty like direct, you know, way burning or you know, stunning or other complications to say you, if you use this too much, it'll it'll uh, attract attention. And I, I think that's why there's anti way factions in the game to keep players from just like I use the way to just min max and just make you know, someone who's really good at attuning and just just hit every single pro, you know, when all you have is the way, every problem looks like a, a nail that can be moved telekinetically with the way, I guess, mm-hmm. you know. But. <laughs> well, I gotta, I gotta workshop that, but uh, you, you get the idea. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, all right. Um, any other quick mentions or, or topics or things you want to talk about? A tune? Well, I mean, just the game in general for uh, Scum and Villainy. Just focus on getting players in the action and just saying, all right, pick an approach and then do it. You know, are you breaking in? Are you social engineering your way in? Are you fighting your way in? And then just like go with it. Like the players assume the if the players mess up, it's not because they're incompetent. It's that because there was a complication they didn't foresee, you know, um, their equipment broke or there, there was an extra guard there or something like that. So um, I, yeah, don't, don't um, get too worried. Uh, uh, just, just go with it. And, um keep the momentum going so yeah and that probably goes like double for a tune also because it is it can be this kind of like wait and see or meditate type of thing which could be mm-hmm. a little anti-action but it sounds like whenever anybody's like uh, i'll probably peer into their mind go with it you just have to like do it at that point you can't mm-hmm. kind of uh hem and haw about whether or not you're going to do actions in these systems they're they're very action focused no for sure awesome all right well ross uh thank you so much for uh rekindling my interest in these forge in the dark (laughs) systems and talking with me about attune specifically um Mm -hmm. I, i appreciate the uh uh the kind of slight departure from the typical uh, pbta move system this was fun and if you uh want to hear uh more about this um i i have my own podcast role playing public radio and rpp our actual play uh we'll have scum and villainy up next year um so you can listen to us talking and play the game uh sometime in the near future um yeah absolutely the actual play is like we can sit here and you know theoretically debate this all day long but definitely yeah. uh find a um you know, a scum and villainy, or at the very least, a Blades in the Dark actual play. Um, check out Ross's next year. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll have some up next year. Um, and uh, yeah. Uh, and I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash RPPR. 
uh, where we have bonus podcasts and stuff like that. So be sure to check that out. Perfect. Awesome. Ross, thanks again. I appreciate mm-hmm. you coming on the show. Happy to be here. All right. Yeah. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you later. The Hard Move is hosted and produced by Matthew Gravelin. You can follow the show on Twitter at The Hard Move and support the show at patreon.com slash The Hard Move. Music is by Nick Gravelin. You can find his work at nickgravelin.com. Content featured in this episode is from Scum and Villainy by Strauss Asimovic and John LaBeouf Little. For more information, visit evilhat.com.